You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is the word of God. You know, we just completed our series on, on friendship, and then we're going to take, this is kind of like a two-week break between series where we're going to celebrate our church. And that's, the, mess, that's a, my, the title of my message today, Celebrating Church. And I chose a passage that seems like that's what we're going to celebrate church by talking about you were dead and you were, you were in the dark and what good is salt? Yeah, like that's just, that's what we're going to talk about because that's the importance of church. And very often we don't kind of know what life is like from the perspective of God. And we're living in a time right now where so many in our culture have very, very low regard for the church, including, strangely, people who call themselves Christians. There's, people are very quick to dump on the church and talk about, the church is just full of hypocrites, or they're just trying to get your money, right? Or, you know, it's all just kind of like fake judgmentalism or something like this. And, you know, there's those kinds of accusations, there's truth to them. Because people are sinful. And in every generation, if you're looking for a church where they're just after your money, or they're just moralistic and judgmental, or some other, you know, junky stuff, well, you're going to find it. But if you're looking for God's church, church as God wants it, you will find that too. The church... That Jesus says that the gates of hell will never overcome the church. So no matter how dark and how bad things get, and there have been like, our culture's going through a dark and bad place and a bad time, for sure. But there are other places in the world where, where if you say the wrong thing, they will kill you. <laughs> if you don't agree with the political powers that be, they will throw you into a hole and torture you. And that is not an uncommon thing right now. We're not even talking about history. We're talking about right now. And yet, Christians walk together as the church. And just as Jesus promised, the gates of hell will not overcome. For he is with us if we trust in him through the gospel, right? So, let's get into today's message, part one. Light and life in zombie land. That's part one. 
right? Light and life in zombie land, all right? Where do you think of zombie land? Just think about that, okay? Part two, churches make salty neighbors, all right? That's part two. Churches make salty neighbors. And part three, the social capital from heaven. Social capital, that's what we're going to talk about in a sermon, yeah. Social capital from heaven, all right? Not from the earth, okay? So let's get into this passage. Um, Very, very famous from the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. And he says these things, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So you, you are the salt. You, you are the light of the world. That's a plural you. You go into the Greek there. Jesus is talking about to a plural you. That's us. Anyone who's willing to hear him and follow him, know him. You know, there's there's this call that we are salt and you are light. Now, some of you grew up in the church. You know this very, very well. But um, I just want to point out something that a lot of people just don't understand about this, okay? So, um, so what is salt? Salt, you know, we, we, we know that salt is, you know, it offers flavor. And, you know, Jesus talks about the taste here too. But understand, today we live in the, in the time of modern chemistry, and so whether the salt is coming out of the earth or out of the ground or something like this, however it is, it's, it's, it's impure. And then, you know, we have these great scientists. They've come up with all these great chemicals. And so you can just go down to the store. You can get this thing called Morton salt or like some of you are like sea salt. I always like sea salt. Okay, it's like it's the same. salt is salt. Okay, like they took all the sea part out, by the way. Right? And so the important part, is the salt, not whether it came out of the sea or whatever. And back then, the only way they could know if the this, if this, if this stuff that was kind of impure that had salt in it still was salty was you tasted it. And if it tasted salty, that means you had more salt than the junky stuff, <laughs> that whatever it was mixed into. And here's some other things that maybe you don't know. Um, salt, like today... You know, because of all our modern chemistry and our capitalism, salt is really cheap. And in fact, it's in way too much of our food, okay? And now, actually, like, it would have been just, you know, inconceivable back then. You know, it's actually, we have so much of it, it's killing us, okay? Like sugar, we're we're dying of sugar, we're dying of salt, okay? That's, like, that's how we are today. But back then, it actually wasn't that easy to get salt. And if you're going to get, and they knew that if people didn't have enough salt, you know what happened? they'd die. Like your body actually needs a certain amount of salt. Without it, you will die. And, and the term salary actually comes from salt, okay? I mean, I won't go into all the language and stuff like that, 
And so you actually was given, you're, it's strange to think that part of your pay would be like salt. But it makes sense because if you want to go home and try eating a piece of meat without any salt, that, that's not a fun meal, right? Try eating like anything without a little bit of salt. It's not a fun meal. But we're not just talking about uh, taste. There was another purpose for salt. And that purpose was preservation. No refrigerators back then. No preserve. Well, maybe that's some, you know, I shouldn't say no preservatives. The preservative was salt. So you get this stuff called salt. And you have your food, especially like meat. And if you want to keep that meat more than a couple days, you have to have salt. So if you don't have salt, or if the salt that you have is like kind of lost its saltiness, you check it by tasting it, you know what's going to happen? All your food will rot. All your food will rot. So you won't have enough salt. So your body is really literally dying, rotting. And then your food is rotting. Then you'll, that's another way to die. So when Jesus uses this metaphor, you are the salt of the earth. Here's what he's basically saying. There's a, there's a, he's saying the whole world's rotting. That's what he's saying. The whole world is rotting. The second teaching, you are the light of the world. This one's simpler, right? He's basically saying you are the light of the world. You know what he's saying? Apart from you, the world is dark. It's dark. People are lost. They don't know up from down. There, there, there's a place in the Bible in, that, that describes the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh is like one of the most powerful, richest cities of its time. It's like the Washington, D.C. It's London. It's New York. It's Silicon Valley of its time. And, and, and God describes Nineveh like this. It's this great, and, you know, this, this great city who, where people do not know their left hand from their right that's what he describes them. It's funny. He goes, where people do not know their left hand and their right, and they have much cattle. <laughs> it's like kind of a weird thing to say. But to us, you know what he's basically saying is, they don't know up from down. They don't know right from right from wrong. They don't know wise from foolish. And they got a lot of money. <laughs> That's what they're saying. Because money back then was kind of furry. Right? And it mood, Right? Today, money doesn't move. It's like a digit on your computer someplace. It's literally like some people have this thing called cryptocurrency, and it's literally all it is is a piece of software that's worth a lot of money, okay? But back then, the money moved. So you have a city that does not know their left from their right. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know wise from foolish. And they just happen to have a lot of money. That's like a perfect description of our city. <laughs> I'm like, wow, we are Nineveh. So when God looks at Nineveh, this is what he sees. When God comes in the flesh in the name of Jesus, he says, the world is dark. And how will there be light? It'll come from you. Okay? Now let me teach you one more Bible passage. And um, so this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. So this is, again, this is a plural you. This is God's teaching to the church of Ephesus. Verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It wasn't you were in a bad place. It, weren't, it wasn't you weren't kind of in bad shape. It wasn't just you're sick. No, it was you're dead. 
That's the way God describes people before they knew Jesus. And this is, this is even, it gets worse. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, I, I, I didn't plan it this way, uh, but my daughter gave a testimony today, and it's like she's a, a perfect little illustration of exactly what this is like. So, what does it mean to follow the course of this world? I think you know. It's like, okay, the world says, you know, like, this is good, this is bad. <laughs> you know, get a lot of money. If you kind of have to lie a lot about it, it doesn't really matter, okay? Oh, it, it's good. You could just sleep around with whoever you want because, you know, it's your right, you know? So, like, whatever the course of the world is, you know, we, we all like to think that we're all these very, very, like, smart people that can, like, resist the world and resist our culture. That's just not true. It is normal that we tend to follow the course of the world. But then it gets worse. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Do you know what the prince of the power of the air is, according to the Bible? And I know some of you don't believe that this being exists, but the prince of the power there is the devil. And it says there's a spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so there's a lot of people today who don't believe, well, there's no devil. That's like some kind of mythological, like fable. But then we have, we have young people in our city, when they get very, very lonely, they can live in a very rich city modern-day Nineveh. And they can, they can come from nice homes. And they can go to our top schools. My daughter goes to the Cupertino. She goes to Limbrook High School. You know where Limbrook High School ranks in the test scores in California? It's way, way, way up there, right? And Limbrook High School is actually listed as like a nationally ranked high school. And Elizabeth tells me she has friends. They have a little voice in their head, and she started having these voices too. The voice that says things like that she shared. Why do you exist? Maybe it would be better if you don't exist. Many, many years ago, I had a friend. She was the first friend I ever had who cut herself. Um, she was... She, she was a Christian, and she was in a dark place, and then she came to know Jesus in a more serious way. She grew up in a Christian home, too, just like my daughter. And, and I asked her, why would you do that? You know, once, you know, we had a lot of trust, because when she first told me that, I was, I was 21 years old. I never met anybody who cut themselves. Today, I bet you, you all know somebody who cut, who's a cutter. You just don't know it. And so, when you get this voice that says, unless you make yourself worth loving, unless you make yourself worth somebody liking or hiring or like accepting, so you have all these really, really quote-unquote top schools, but when I think about so many of these top schools, all we really have are the top slaves. That's what we have in America. 
Think about that the next time. If you ever walk onto the Stanford University campus, those are the top slaves. And in order to get onto that campus, there's a bunch of kids. Maybe they made it. Maybe they didn't. But while they were in the midst of it, a little voice started rolling around their head. Why do you exist? Maybe be better if you didn't. So taking back to my old friend, she, I asked her, why would you do that? And she said, you feel like you're basically failing and you're not worth much. So if you punish yourself, you're finally doing something right. Wow. <laughs> she told me another reason. She says, you feel so bad about yourself and who you are. My daughter called it immense pain. I'm physically fine. That it's so hard to take that you cut yourself and when you bleed, then you know you're still alive. That's how she put it. Doesn't that sound like someone who's dead? You have to bleed to know you're alive. But that's what I mean by zombie land. There's a lot of live people around us. They look like they're doing okay. But this is a city filled with slaves. And, and in order to get all the promises and the good things of the world, we like to run, 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 harder, harder. Be a better slave. Run harder, run harder. Be a better slave. And then when we can't be a better slave or when we can't control that, then... The only, like, message from the world is you're not good enough. And since you believe that in your own mind, see, that, like, you believe that in your own mind, then now the spirit of the power of the air says, like, all right, I got you. <laughs> this is our city. These are our friends. These are our family members. If you're listening to this message, maybe it's you. And you know what Jesus says? Church, go out there and help the rotting not rot to death. Church, go out there and shed light where there's only darkness. Church, go out there so the zombies can meet alive people. People who are actually like alive. <laughs> who have peace, who have joy, who have purpose, who have mercy and forgiveness and love. And they go, money? Yeah, money. I have heaven forever. The money that I have today will be useless tomorrow. So yeah, you can have some of my money so I could bless you. Because money in my father's house is worthless. But his riches is forever. See? That's the church. And imagine if in the zombie land there was no church. Imagine all your friends and all your neighbors, some of them are cutters. Or they're sitting in there. Maybe they're not cutters. They're just slaves. And when they're at home, there is this voice. And it's interesting how that voice can be themselves. It's like, 
They talk in the first person. So it's like, this is what it's like. I, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't want to get overly dramatic about this, but this is how I imagine it to be. If you don't have the Holy Spirit coming into your, your life, then you're going to have the spirit of the air, the spirit of the prince of the power in your life. There's always going to be some spirit in your mind. So if it isn't Jesus giving his voice to the Holy Spirit into your mind, what you are is you are like, you're the zombie, you're the slave, and the devil has his hand up your back, and then he goes like this. And then you speak into your mind, and you think it's you speaking, but it's not. <laughs> That's a dark world. And you know who counters that voice? Jesus Christ through the church. Jesus Christ through the church. I'm going to part two. You know what the church does? Redeems people out of the zombie land. Jesus makes them alive. And then they like start hanging out with each other. And then the salt makes other people salty. <laughs> That's the purpose of you coming to church. So that the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and the new life we have in Christ, we will make each other salty instead of some cruddy, junky salt that's not really salt. We'll make each other salty. We'll make each other alive. Far from rotting. In fact, an eternal life is springing up that could never rot. Now, I just want to just offer a couple things here. Um, I, I, I wanted to just offer a little bit of like maybe some secular, <laughs> some secular evidence. So some of you are like, show me the evidence. That just sounds like a religious claim. Okay, there's secular evidence. So I found um, one of our top social scientists. And uh, this guy became famous because he studied, you know, like the social interactions of America. So he actually got famous by a book published in 2000 called Bowling Alone. That's the, that's the title. Basically, he said in, back in the 50s, there were all these bowling, you know, like um, when people went bowling, they had all these buddies and their friends, and they went bowling together. <laughs> like every Thursday night, yeah, like bowling night. And you met all your buddies and your friends, and you had bowling, and everybody laughed, and they drank, and they had a great time. And sometimes when somebody was sad, you're like, you're sad. Why are you sad? Oh, your marriage is in trouble. Oh, let me help you. Bowling. <laughs> like bowling clubs and stuff like that. But now he said, we bowl alone. He said that in 2000, right? And then he and another, one of our top, top social scientists. So this is, a, his name is Robert Putnam. And he came out of the big H, Harvard, Okay. And his friend was David Campbell, and he's a top social scientist out of the University of Notre Dame. And they co-wrote a book. And they wrote this book called American Grace. Really interesting title. Social scientists. They're like, we're not going to talk about theology. Only social, like we're going to just study the social interactions. So what I want to do is to just give you like one of their conclusions, right? One of their conclusions. This is what they concluded. Religious Americans. That's the word they use. Religious Americans. Let me tell you what that means. Those who go to church. You know, you know of course, they're very politically correct. Those who go to church, synagogue, and mosque. Right? But in America, 
the people who are religious Americans, 98% of them go to church, okay? They go to a Christian church. So, religious Americans are better neighbors and more conscientious citizens than their secular counterparts. They give more money. They donate more time. They volunteer in the community more. They also belong to more civic organizations. They vote more. They get involved in community. This holds even if you control for a host of demographic factors. You know what they mean by that? Here's what they mean by that. That thing that they just said, that's true. It doesn't matter if the people are white, if the people are black, if they're Hispanic, if they're Asian. When they grow to church and they actually live the part, all of this is true. In fact, they actually say, well, gee, you know, among the most active folks, they actually go, well, there's the most active folks tend to be, they say, white evangelicals and black Protestants. <laughs> there's like a place, there's this, black Protestants are like more evangelical than evangelicals. That's the way they put it. I was like, oh, that's funny. And here's what, it also gets even more interesting. When they say that if you hold for all the other demographic factors, they mean this, it doesn't matter if they're on the West Coast, if they're on the East Coast, or if they're in the South, if they're in a secular city, or if they're in the Bible Belt. That's also what it means. It also means this. It doesn't matter if they went to college, if they didn't go to college, if they make a lot of money, or if they're poor. They actually socially like put a control on all those factors and found out this is what church does. It's funny, they, they make this other interesting claim. Um, they say this, religious Americans are simply happier than non-religious Americans. Remember, they go to church. That's what they mean by religious Americans. They actively go to church and participate in the life of church. Religious Americans are happier. This is because they build friendship networks. That's why we preached on friendship. So go to GLF, please. Okay? And they serve and they participate and then they say it's not due to their belief. Okay, now, I have a quibble with that, right? Because you know why they participate? <laughs> you know, let me tell you something. A lot of people come to church. You know who are the ones who participate? The ones who believe. <laughs> so when I read this, I'm like, that's dumb. <laughs> that's really, really dumb. And it matters what they believe. Hate your neighbors because, you know, they're all just racist. The people who preach that, they don't tend to be good neighbors, right? How about love your neighbors even if they are racist? Because they need a better truth and mercy and kindness. So that's what we preach. It matters. But anyway, so it's a life, but I will agree with this part. I disagree when they say it doesn't matter like about their doctrines and whether they believe. Okay, that, that's, okay, when I listen to that, I was like, gosh, these most social scientists, they're so theologically ignorant, that's like smoking dope, okay, that's crazy. On the other hand, it does matter because if you just only believe and have like some like nice little like doctrines floating around in your brain and you don't live and go to church and live the life of God through his family, the church, then it does matter. 
there's lots of just like cognitive Christians and they like they have this idea. I mean, it's really common in America. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And they never go to church. <laughs> they never contribute their time, their energy, their money, their talents. And they say, I have a relationship with Jesus, but they don't love anybody. At that part, it matters. And I often think that if a person says, I believe in Jesus, and they never go to church, I was just going like, that, that guy probably don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> right? So, it does matter. And it is God's will that once we get saved, you know, the grace we have received, the riches we have received, you know what he wants to do? He wants it to go out. Because if without the salt, we're going to die. <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, do you want to be a zombie? And live in zombie culture, a sitting duck for the devil. I mean, you're like a sitting duck. Without the gospel and without the real truth from God coming into you, like hearing it from some fool preacher like me, or from each other, and watching each other live salty lives, then, you, then you're a sitting duck for the prince of the power of the world, the course of the world. That's the difference the church makes. Okay? So let's close. I want to talk about the social capital from heaven. So what's social capital? So, again, these smart... Okay, guys like Robert Putnam, they invented this term. But it's very important, actually. How will you live a good life? We all know that if we're poor and got no capital, you're in trouble. Generally, the capital we're interested in is like, you know, money capital, financial capital. And so you want to like open up your app, go into your bank account and see a big gigantic number. I got a lot of financial capital. I'm well off in this world, right? That's what we tend to be fixated on, right? But what all the social scientists found out is that what matters is what they call social capital. Social capital is this. When the bottom drops out in your life, there's people who show up and they'll care. See, that's, that's a different kind of capital. You have somebody, when you're angry or you're distrustful all the time, you have someone you trust and you can go to them with your hurts, with your weaknesses, your failures, your vulnerability, and they will come. So that's social capital. And I want to close this message this way. We tend to think, you know, all my sins forgiven and I want to go to heaven. Okay, I sure hope you want your sins forgiven and go to heaven. But we also, you know what we also want? We also don't want to live the zombie life. You know, when I listened to our testimonies today, I was sitting there going like, zombie life. <laughs> I was listening to Andrew's testimony, I was like, yeah, he was hurting in a bad way because he's living the zombie life. When my own daughter was telling me, she said this when we were talking at night. She said, of course, I wouldn't actually cut myself. But so I took this like plastic knife and I would do this because that's like, she asked me later on, how did you feel when I said that to her? Were you disappointed in me? I said, no, I wasn't. I was not disappointed in you. 
my actual reaction was, <laughs> if my daughter, who is incredibly loved by her family and her church, could be a sitting duck for the devil, what about all the kids out there? What about all our neighbors out there? How about in the pandemic? When we're all supposed to be like safe at home. You may be safer from a virus, but you ain't safe from the devil. You ain't safe from the lies that you tell yourself when the devil does his little like ventriloquist act. And what God wants to do is say, church, get out there. I redeem you so that the dead could live. Light will shine into the world. So I want to close. And the way we offer this in a way that our neighbors can begin to at least see it is the church is like an unending source of the most beautiful social capital from heaven. Coming from each other because of Jesus, right? So here's how I put it. God sent his son to zombie land to offer this dead and dying culture the social capital of heaven. Jesus became our neighbor so that if we zombies are filled with anger, pride, lust, greed, envy, hatred, and deceit, because that's what we get when we live according to the prince of the power of the air and the ways of the world, right? Jesus took it upon himself to wash that stuff away so that he can give back a new social capital for us. The riches of joy, humility, generosity, love, truth, and purpose. If we are filled with selfishness and self-centeredness and use others, he came to bring heaven's way, which was not using others to fill me up because I'm dying, but we would lay ourselves down to serve them so they could live. <laughs> he came to show us that love, joy, generosity, forgiveness, mercy, and self-giving were far greater capital than selfishness, covetousness, stinginess, vindictiveness, judgmentalism, and greed. He took upon himself all our poverty, our dying and corruptions, while we fixated on the capital of the zombie world, always chasing after it, so that he could change this place and make it more heavenly. See, dying land, the dark land, the saltless land. He said, let's offer salt through my people redeemed by the cross. If we are lonely and orphans, wholly independent and on our own, defensive, suspicious, and distrusting, always looking after myself while regularly guarded and even judging and hateful of others, you know what else he gave us? He gave us a family. He gave us a church that the organization that regularly has the most social capital when it works according to the gospel, when it works according to his grace, would be the very vision of how the very redeemed would be together. So the church 
redeemed by grace. He went on the cross so that all his blood would be shed and we'd be washed of all our zombiness. And now he can give us a new kind of capital, far better. And then it would just overflow and spill out of his people, the church. So church of God, we are the most important organization in the world. We're more important than the federal government, than your local school. We're more important than Apple or Google or some other stupid company that's going to be gone tomorrow, right? IBM used to be a great company and like nobody cares about them now. Well, okay, not that many, okay? And tomorrow that'll be Apple. But the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We're going to outlast every nation, every company, every empire. And what we do is worthy of all eternity. So revive church, be grateful and joyful. And do not tire of being the church. Don't tire of loving your brothers and sisters. Don't tire of serving our neighbors and being the church. And if you get tired, say, Jesus, we need some more salt. <laughs> and you know what he'll do? He'll pour out his spirit on us. And we'll have more love and more joy and more purpose and more mercy and more riches. Because that's what we get from him through the church. Okay? So, Revive Church. It's not been easy to do church plant, but it's been great. And the best days are yet to come, okay? Let's pray. Lord, this incredible people that you gather together, a weak people, a broken people, and yet redeemed by you. And we're not dead, but we're alive. Because you're not a dead God. You have conquered sin and death. And it is your aim to change the world from zombie land, sitting ducks for the devil, so that we would have your voice and your truth and your riches, eternal heavenly capital. And we can offer it to each other and to our neighbors. I want to pray if there's anybody out there now listening to this message who has been hearing the voice of the devil and thinks there is no hope for them. There's no purpose for them. There's no point. I pray that you would say no. That you have come to offer them real hope. And maybe one day they would find a real church very soon and maybe our church. So we could love them the way you have loved us. Be with our church. and Let nothing stop us from living in your grace and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.